I'm Aaron Schlein, and I'm here to help you turn your love of travel into a thriving business and a dream life. This is Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. Yeah, ho, my friend, it's Aaron, and you have landed on Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. My friend, podcasting plays a huge part in my dream life, and it can do the same for you. Unleash the power of your voice and start your podcasting journey today. Head over to DramaticPodcasting.com. You can read my story and enroll in my free podcasting mini course to help you start your podcasting journey the right way. That's DramaticPodcasting.com. Off we go with today's guest, Travis Sherry, is joining us from his home in Pennsylvania. Travis is the founder of Extra Pack of Peanuts, which you can find at extrapackofpeanuts.com. Six years ago, Travis was living in Japan and knew that he wanted to travel more, but there was no way he could travel as much as he wanted to on a teacher's salary. Plus, having only summers off was not conducive to his schedule of constant travel, so he started learning all the ways to travel for less, including the golden goose, frequent flyer miles. In five years, he was able to earn over 4 million frequent flyer miles and travel to over 40 countries, all for much less than he ever dreamed. He started Extra Pack of Peanuts to share this knowledge with the world, as well as create an online business that he could run from anywhere. In 2013, he added a podcast for those people too lazy to read, which has now become the top-rated travel podcast on iTunes. Travis has figured out how to run his six-figure online business successfully from a beachfront bungalow in Thailand, an inn in Prague, the rice fields of Bali, and a farmhouse in Florence. And he's also learned how to run it unsuccessfully from the internet-deprived country of Myanmar. Travis, welcome to Dramatic Travels Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much. Yeah, Myanmar, very tough to be location independent in because they don't have the internet or they don't have a good internet connection. But all those other places, it's pretty sweet, man. Heck of a way to unsuccessfully run a business. I love that. I was listening to one of your episodes just yesterday and you you said that you never considered yourself the quintessential entrepreneur growing up. So tell me about your non-entrepreneurial upbringing and then how you transition that into extra pack of peanuts and everything you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So I... You know, I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. I, I guess my my dad did run his own company, but it was a it was a family company. It was a construction company, contracting company. So to me, that wasn't you, you know your typical entrepreneur's journey. It's not like my dad was an inventor or something like that. I I just you know I always had ideas, but I wasn't the kid who was out there selling lemonade and and all that kind of stuff, hustling. You know, I wasn't a 14 year old kid, like making money on the side. I just was your regular typical kid. And then teenager got, got regular jobs, worked as a waiter, you know, did some construction, all that stuff. So I, I just never considered myself an entrepreneur. I just consider myself a person with, with ideas here and there, but I, I assumed everyone had ideas. And I, I think probably everyone does when I, I, I don't want to say fell into entrepreneurship, but really when I did start my own business, it wasn't this fruition of a lifelong goal. It wasn't like I always thought, all right, well, when I grow up, I'm going to have my own company. I assumed I would be a, a high school history teacher, which I had been previously, because when I went was in high school, I liked my teachers. I liked school. I like I liked teaching people things. And so that actually was my goal. And then I went to university, did it. 
and then, you know, I reached my goal and was a high school history teacher. And, and it was during that time where I thought, OK, this is this is fine, but it's it, I'm already bored and I'm three years in. So I'm, not, I'm never going to make it 30. Let's I know that for sure. And then, you know, kind of the genesis. And I think probably for a lot of people uh, it might be cliche, but I, re- I read the four hour work week. I don't even remember how why I picked it up. I honestly think I saw the cover and was like, oh, this is pretty neat. Started reading it and thought, whoa, all right. I've always had ideas, but I never they weren't really like solidified in my head, but this person is telling me that it is possible. And then it was there, but on the back burner. And I I went and taught English in Japan, but I do remember starting to think of things differently. So then when I started learning about frequent fire miles, I actually thought, Hey, here's something that I really love teaching. Could this be a business where if if I never read the book, I'm not sure I would have ever even thought about it being a business. You know, I didn't have all the answers and I didn't know what it was going to look like, but it, it at least had me thinking, wait a second, maybe this could be a business. And that, and that, so I, I credit, you know, that book and, and with the mindset shift around it, I think. And I read that when I was probably 26, 27. Yeah, Tim Ferriss changed a, a lot of lives with that book, Trav, and myself, mine included. So let's back up just a little bit and talk about just travel growing up. You talked about growing up and your sort of your sort of ordinary trajectory, I guess, as as a as a child, even into, into college. So tell me the role that travel played during those years. Yeah, I think it's the same. Like it was pretty ordinary. I wasn't my parents weren't big travelers. You know, I went down to Florida to see my grandparents like every kid who grows up on the East Coast does. We didn't take family trips. I I didn't really go internationally. Um, I think the first international trip that I took, if I'm not mistaken, was when I went to Paris when I was 21 years old. So, yeah, travel wasn't a big part of my life growing up when I was younger. I certainly wasn't against it. And I, and I did like reading a lot about different places. I always loved maps and geography and reading about like the American West and biographies and stuff like that. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't show itself in the form of, Hey, me wandering around the country with my parents. We just, yeah, we just took vacations here and there, but it was never anywhere exotic. And and I had one friend, my, my best friend growing up, one of my best friends, and he was the only person I knew who who did travel, you know, I'd be like, Oh, we're going to Italy. We're going here. We're going. And yeah, you know, to me, that was so far. And I just remember thinking, I, I, I don't, I don't even know. I wasn't even jealous because it wasn't even a possibility for me. I was just like, okay, Nick's going off again. And then he'd come home and he'd kind of tell us about it. But you know, you're like 14. So you don't really care. You're just talking about sports and what baseball cards you have. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge part of my, my life growing up. It, it wasn't really until I was old enough to then make the decision to start traveling that, that I really started to see more things. Well, folks out there in our audience, the, the entrepreneurs in the travel industry, for a lot of us, location independence, which is something that is a huge part of your life and your business. Location independence is really more of a byproduct of what we do as opposed to the goal, but location independence is a, a critical part of your life and your business. Uh, so just before we move on, just, just be intentional and just define location independence and why it's so crucial. Yeah, so for me, it's funny because obviously the the definition of location independence is, hey, I don't have to be in a location, right? Like if we're cut and dry, it means I can work from anywhere that I want. Obviously, that's because I, you know, we work on the internet. So, well, not anywhere. We said Myanmar, very difficult. <laughs> yeah. So anywhere with a good internet connection, right? Um, but it's really in since I've learned about it and started teaching about it and since I become location independent, it does take on in my mind a little bit broader of a scope than just location independence. I see it as like three 
freedoms, and that's that's time freedom, financial freedom, and location freedom. So the location one, pretty easy. We just talked about that. Hey, work online so you can travel, live, and work anywhere in, you, anywhere in the world. Financial freedom, meaning, hey, I'm not beholden to someone who's paying me a paycheck. I create things, products, services that, that people hopefully like. So there's no cap on how much I can make. Of course, there's no floor on how much you can make, which is the scary part. But being able to build something that is reliant on on myself and and my own abilities and people paying for that, um, and then hopefully building it to a point where you are financially free and you're not having to do a job that you don't want to do. And then the third one, which I think gets overlooked a bit of time freedom. And, and for me, this is now in my life, honestly, as important as location freedom and that is the fact that, you know, we get to choose when we do work. So I know one of the things I hated as a teacher, Aaron, and, and maybe people out there can relate. I hated waking up to alarm clock. I wasn't a morning person. I didn't want to get up at 630. Like I would wake up at 730, have to be at school by 740. And I, you know, I it was like a five minute commute and I could barely make it. So for me now, I love the fact that I can do the work that I that I like to do, but also when I want to do it, you know, and, and set up my own schedule. and, and figure it out that way. So that's how I see location independence. It's really like the three freedoms and that's time, money and location itself. So tell me how you've iterated over the years in terms of how you manage your time and when you, when you do your work and how you figure out when you do things best. Cause like you said, every job, including school, which is a job up to that, that point, you were told when you needed to be at a certain place and what you needed to do and, and when, and, and then all of a sudden you have, I can do what I want when I want, but you're still earning a living. You're not, you're not serving the same masters that you once were, but you still got to get stuff done. I think this is one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn because as you said, in the beginning was, Hey, I can do what I want when I want. For me, that was like, Hey, someone has off on a Tuesday and they want to go to lunch. Yeah, let's go to lunch. You know, it was this, Hey, I can do whatever I want. You're kind of drunk on that freedom. Right. And so I wasn't putting a lot of limits on myself and that was leading to being very reactive and allowing other people like in a weird way, allowing other people then make the decisions because I was just doing what other people wanted. And so it wasn't until I actually, you know, the last couple of years and specifically the last year, we've really buckled down on it a bit. And, and it's funny because it's, it's way more normal than it was before, but that's by choice. So I'm typically working Monday through Friday. You know, I'll do stuff Saturday and Sunday here and there, but I've really actually tried to set limits and say, hey, like work isn't happening on those days. You know, it's not really nine to five. It's probably more nine to two, nine to three. And again, that changes. We have a big launch or big project coming out. We might work more, things like that. But it is, it's funny that it's, it's more your normal routine, like similar to what someone who might be going to a job is doing, but that's because I found that that's what I liked doing and that's what allowed me to be effective. But it took a few years to figure that out because it would be, oh yeah, you want to record on Tuesday in the middle of the day? Yeah, let's record. And then I found out like I'd record one podcast in the day and that was it. And the rest of the day I was either getting prepared or, oh, I'll do that, you know, so I've started to actually stratify day by day, and that's been a big help. So usually for me, Mondays are recording days with with guests. So I might record four or five episodes on a Monday, and it's a long day, and it's tiring. I, I mean, it's super fun. Like, it's probably my favorite thing out of everything I do is recording. But I know now, okay, someone wants to record? Hey, you can record on Mondays. 
Tuesdays, Heather, my wife and I do some of our recording. I do stuff for our location uh, indie community. Wednesdays, I do stuff for our app Jetto. Thursdays and Fridays, I kind of leave a little open for connection. That's like when someone says, hey, do you want to go to lunch? I'll be like, all right, let's do it Friday. Like I know now that I, I have time to do it. I've become much, much more intentional and that's helped tremendously in being effective and also not having that entrepreneur guilt of, oh, shouldn't I be working harder? Shouldn't I be doing this? Shouldn't I be doing that? Now I know, no, like, okay, don't worry about recording. We know it's happening on next Monday. So it's been, it's been a big, big learning curve for me because I'm not the most organized person by nature. Yeah, neither am I, Travis. And I do the same thing. I, I theme my days. Fridays is my recording day, and it's I, I do a weekly show. So if I can knock out, I've done as many as nine in a single day. That's there's that's a great feeling at the end of the day when you're exhausted, can barely talk. But I got I got nine weeks worth of shows recorded over the course of a single day. Yeah, you've got me beat, man. I've never done nine, so you're you're the king of that. Man. That's not a regular thing, but I, that's that's my record thus far. One one thing I heard you say before we move on to some of the more details about your business, you talked about how just being very deliberate and intentional about the business relationships you get into talking about how, if you get into affiliate relationships, sometimes you may, even though you're independent, you're location independent, but now you have this master and you're in this relationship that doesn't feel like it's just not a relationship you want to be in. And you sort of sacrifice some of that independence. Tell me about that, that thinking. Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, even when I didn't know, so we started Extra Pack of Peanuts in, in 2012, January 2012. So it's pretty easy for me to remember. I was still working. I was still a full-time teacher in Japan at that point. So I had eight months of, of time to, to figure out how I was going to make it work full-time because I had a job, so I was only doing this on the side to begin with. And I knew from the very beginning that I didn't want to be beholden to anyone else. Like I want, If I was going to create something, it was going to be me calling the shots. Right out of the, off the uh, off the bat, I was in an affiliate relationship with a bunch of credit card companies because I was teaching people about travel hacking. One of the ways to do that is to get a good travel credit card, and I knew I didn't want to depend on them, but it was an easy way for for me to to make money and for me because I'm like, hey, I'm telling people about these cards anyway, and they're going to give me a little bit of a cut. But long long story short, that kind of devolved because they wanted me to promote cards that that were not the the ones essentially they're like, Hey, we'll pay you if you promote these cards. And I said, no, that's not the ones I want to promote. They're not as good for my audience. And they're like, no, 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 you have, well, they didn't say you have to, but they're like, well, no, we want you to do it pretty strongly worded. If you want this to continue, if you want this to continue. And I just kept saying, I'm not going to do that. These are crap cards. They're <laughs> not the best ones out there. And, uh, so after about six months of that, and that was all our income from the site in the beginning, cause we were just getting started. Uh, we ended up that, that they canceled that relationship. So our income of about $6,000 a month, that was our high watermark, like, like about 12 months in, it was like six grand a month. We made one month. I'm like, this is great. Things are rolling. Like I'm, I have my own business. They were like, nope, they turned it off. They're like, we're not paying you anything. Uh, basically with, you know, someone sat there and pushed a button and deactivated all the links. I was my 30th birthday. And I just remember thinking like, oh crap, but and, and yeah, I was depressed for like two days, but I said, I never wanted, I knew going in, I didn't want to be dependent on this. They're make, they're forcing my hand a lot sooner than I wished. And I wish we could have made it work out, but we couldn't. And so that's when I decided, all right, I'm going all in on my own things. And I, you know, that's when I first, my, I had just written my first book uh, about frequent fire miles. I decided to start a course about frequent fire miles, but it was at that moment that I thought, Hey, you knew you didn't want to depend on anyone else, but now you 
now you know why you don't want to depend on anyone else firsthand. And it was create the stuff that I want to create because I can charge a dollar for the book or a hundred million dollars. Like I get to control what it is. So I, that was the, the big Genesis for me to say, I, I don't want to anyone else to call the shots. I want to call the shots myself. Absolutely. So just take us back to that, to that 2012, when you first launched extra pocket peanuts, what was in your mind? What was the, what was the long-term of objective initially? You know, it, good question. I don't even know if there was one. I, I think, I mean, the long-term objective, I guess, was a very simple one. I wanted to create a business that allowed me to live anywhere because I wanted to keep traveling. And so right off the bat, the first goal, and I hear a lot of people, I think this is a number for a lot of people. It, my first number was $3,000 a month. If I can make $3,000 a month, obviously I'm not going to get rich, but, but it's, it's enough that I can get by. And so that, when I first started was the, the, the first goal with a longer term goal of saying, Hey, I just want to create something that I, I can be my own boss and I can do this for the rest of my life. Now I didn't exactly know what it would be. I just assumed I would, I would always blog. Like I would just keep writing. Cause that's what I started with writing. And I liked writing. I didn't know we'd start a podcast. I didn't know we'd have an app. I didn't know we'd get a paid community. I didn't know I'd teach location independence. I didn't know any of that. But the the long-term goal was simply, how do I create something sustainable that I can continue to do? And and again, not knowing what the specifics were going to be, just knowing that if I had that, if I was getting to do the work that I wanted to do and I could do it from anywhere, that would be enough motivation for me to figure out all the pieces that had to fall into place. So outside of those that strained relationship with the credit card companies what were what were some of your biggest challenges in the very very beginning i mean figuring out how to make money i think that's probably for everyone uh, unless they're either really lucky or, or much smarter than i am um you know like i said the credit card company thing took us basically from 6k to zero and uh we had just moved home from japan and we're gonna you know we were with my parents for like a month or two because we we're the house we owned was rented out. So we're like, all right, we're just going to find a place, do this. And uh, we end up living with my parents for a, over a year. How old are you at this point? Uh, now I'm 35. I'm going to be 36. At that point, I was 30 years old. I just turned 30. So my wife and I were married. We had moved back from Japan, uh, 30 years old, living with my parents and just being like, you know, I question myself a lot. A lot. You know, there'd be days I sat there. I'm like, I'm spending 60 hours a week, like writing blogs, doing this, building a community, but not monetizing it. And and the mistake I made and the mistake I think a lot of people make is that they focus on doing all these things that aren't necessarily making a money right away. And they kind of trick themselves. And this is what I did into thinking that's the way to do it. So I was like, I have to write two blog, two long form blog posts. Um, um, a week, I have to put out a podcast a week. So I was like creating all this content, but there was no way I was making money from it at that point. And what I needed to say to myself and what my buddy finally did say to me, and it's the ease, like the most simple statement of all time, but it, I just needed to hear it. We sat down in July of 2013. So I've been doing it for a year and a half. I was still with my parents and he just said, I don't want you to write another blog post. I want you to record another podcast. I don't want you to answer another email until you figure out a way to make money. And I'm like, no, no, no. Everyone says consistency is king. Got to put those blog posts out. Got to get those emails out. People are relying on me for to do this. And he's like, 
So if you don't make money, how long can you keep doing this? Like, how long can you continue to scrape by on $1,500 a month? Like, you're going to have to go get a regular job, and then you're not going to be able to do that anyway. So figure out a way to make money right now and don't do another thing until you do that. I already knew what I wanted to do to make money. That was the funny part. I wanted to turn this book that I, I made into a course because people had read the book and like, hey, can can you help me out more? Can you get on a call? Can you do a consultation? And so I knew if I turned it into a video course, that was like the next level of handholding and that's what they wanted. So I already had this idea for like probably eight months. I just didn't do it. And so when he said, figure out a way to make money, I was like, no, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this course. And he goes, all right, do it. And so I went home that night and I put it out to our community. I said, Hey, I, uh, I'm making a frequent flyer bootcamp course. Um, you know, you have four days to sign up. I'm going to take 30 people. I forget what I charged then, you know, it was way less than I do now because in the beginning you, you know, you don't know what, what value to put on things. And, uh, I put it out there and I think the first day, like seven people signed up and I thought, okay, I think that was like, it was like almost a thousand dollars of revenue. Right. And I thought, all right, well, a, that's awesome. But B, now I have to create the course. I didn't even know how I was going to do it. And I told him it was starting in three days. So I created the course in three days, the, the first version of the course, because and, and it was pre-selling. I didn't even know the term pre-selling. I just was like so amped up to see if people would get it. I did that. They did. Um, yeah, we had like 15 people go through that first course. And again, it was probably like 2000 a little over $2,000. And I sat back and thought, oh, my gosh. I, here's an idea I've had for eight months. I, I should have done this way before, but I need someone else to tell me that. So that that's the biggest struggle, I think, was 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 just figuring out where my value was and then making allowing people to pay me because I had people pay me for my book when I first created it. And they said, I've already read your blog and I know all the stuff that probably you could teach about frequent fire miles, but you've never asked for money. Like the very first person who bought, bought my book, she sent me a note. She goes, I just wanted to be able to give you money. Like, I'm <laughs> honestly probably not going to read the book because I've read every blog post of yours. I want to give you money. I want to give you $49 because you've given me so much value. That is gold, man. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like finding a way to allow people to pay you. That is gold. So one thing that you kind of, when you started telling that story, you talked about that. You, you're tricking yourself into to thinking you, you had to do all these things before you could get to monetization. And I can just hear his head's ringing around the world, especially in this travel entrepreneurship, especially, you know, bloggers, anybody that's in this space, I can hear that resonating with a lot of people who tell themselves, I've got to stay on this path, even though they don't have any clear path to monetization. Maybe they don't even have any ideas for monetization. So what were some of those, what were some of those, those tricks you were, you were telling yourself? What did you think you were doing? Yeah, I think it was like I have to build a bigger, bigger community first to, before I can put a product out there. You know, I, I need more people to to listen to podcasts and, and read the site when, in fact, I didn't need that because it doesn't matter. A million people could read the site, but if there's no way to monetize it, it's still zero dollars. Right? right. And you also don't need a lot of people to pay you in order to make a decent amount of money, especially if you have a higher value course. Now, when I first did boot camp, it was like one hundred and fifty dollars and it was a very bare bones level course compared to what it is now. It's much more robust. It's more expensive, but it's it's way better. But in the beginning, you know, for me, I didn't have to make that much. Remember, I said three thousand dollars a month. Right. So. $150 wasn't that many people. That was 20 people to pay me for a course for me to hit my goal. So I think people, and, and the trick I was telling myself was like, I need more people because it's a numbers thing. Like I need more people to buy this. In reality, 
again, you know, the thousand true fan, um, not theory, but the, the mantra that people say is very, very true. If you have a thousand people who are willing to give you money and you sell a hundred dollar course, well, I mean, the math's pretty easy. That's a hundred thousand dollars, right? So I'm not saying it's easy to get a thousand true fans. I am saying that I think we always think we have to be bigger because we're looking at the people who are ahead of us. Oh, well, this person has so many more readers and they have a course. You can do it too. Just start. And then uh, the other tr the other thing that I realized that I didn't is starting to ask people what they wanted from me. You know, I created the video course because people read the book and my goal was read the book and then book your flights. Like I'm giving you all the information so you should book it. And when people came back like, oh, can you explain it more? I thought, oh, this book is a failure. Like the whole <laughs> point is that you're supposed to read it and book, not like, because what would happen was I was booking trips for people then, um, Aaron, and that's how I was making money. It was like totally trading time for money. But people would come to me and say, I have you know, 100,000 American Airlines miles. I want to go to Italy. Can you book my trip? And I was like, it, it, I didn't love doing it, but I knew how to do it. And it, and it was making me some income. Again, we were making like 1500 a month, you know, and I was working a lot. But what I found out was, it was people who had read the book who were asking me to book the flights. And again, I thought it was a failure. I'm like, uh, I, uh, the point is to teach you how to do it. But I just realized some people need different levels of handholding. So asking the people who are following you or, or, you know, who are your target market, what they actually want, it's a no brainer, but so many people don't do it. They create what they think people want versus what people tell them they want. And it's way easier to sell something that someone tells you they want than selling them something you think they want. Because if they told you you want it and you create it, it's not that hard of a sales pitch. It's like the number one way to be make sales without being salesy is create what they tell you they want and then say, hey, by the way, you said you want this, here it is. You got a problem, I solved it, here's the thing. It's a, it's a nice, happy exchange. And then, and then there's a real good chance that there'll be, you know, the re relationship will continue. Like you said, if you had that, that existing audience of, of super fans who will continue to buy your products and services as you, as you iterate and as you add to your you know collection of services, how are you growing your audience in that, those early days? Like when you hit that, you hit that list with the, with that very first course and you had, you had a handful of takers, how get ballpark, how big was the list and how did you grow it just to that point? Oh man, how big was the list? I, I would say ballpark, maybe 3000 people, 2000 people. I, it was, it, I mean, I don't know if that sounds small or big to people, right? Because it's all relative, but certainly not a huge email list. Um, I built that list very slowly. Uh, if I, I would do things much differently now, because uh, I like I know different ways to build email lists. But at that point, it was honestly just creating a lot of content, and then people finding the site, um, and then subscribing to our email list. I, I did guess, like I did a interview on one of the big things that got us a decent amount of people in the beginning was I did an interview on another travel hacking blog called million mile secrets. Um, they interviewed me. And so like I, I actually set up my email list. I didn't even have an email list for like the first five, six months, stupid, obviously, but I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and then I knew that I was getting interviewed by this blog. I'm like, man, I'm going to get like a decent spike in traffic. I, I should figure out how to get <laughs> like, how to get these people back. So the night before I was like figuring out how to like put a pop-up on my site so people could subscribe. And that was the beginning of the email list. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was very, a very content heavy way of getting subscribers, which if I was to do it now, I certainly wouldn't 
I'm not going to say waste time because content's important, but I would just do things faster and I wouldn't focus so much on putting out such quantity of content. I'd focus on it being more quality, maybe longer form posts and also doing some things like, hey, getting on other people's sites that are much bigger than yours, getting interviewed by other people, uh, running giveaways. You know, they're not always like the best leads ever, but still uh, running giveaways, like doing these things to really kind of supercharge your list. Um, obviously I do Facebook ads and stuff now to some degree too, that didn't really exist back then when we started, but there's a lot of ways to build a list much, much faster than simply creating a lot of content, hoping people find it and then hoping they opt into your email list. That's probably the worst and slowest way to do it. Well, speaking of supercharging, you, you gave me a nice segue into the next bit of the conversation, the podcast. So you, you've got this growth extra pack of peanuts is starting to starting to get some legs and you're ready to take that and, and leverage that into and start a podcast. Tell me about that decision and what your plans were kind of early on. Yeah, it, it, like most things that I did early on, <laughs> not much planning. Uh, it was simply that but you went for it, man. You just went all in, all in early. And that's there's a lesson there. Right. I just the reason I want to start a podcast was because I was listening to travel podcasts or I wanted to listen to travel podcasts and I couldn't find any that were like focused on the people doing the really cool things that I knew people were out there doing just by me meeting other travelers, me, you know, hearing about people doing this, me reading other people's blogs. It was all focused on destinations. And I thought, well, that's like fine. If I want to go to Paris, I can listen to a podcast about it. But what about like the story of this guy? And in particular is one person that, that made me want to start a podcast. This guy, Jason Lewis, I was watching a TV show called long way down with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. And they run into this dude in the desert and they're motorcycling from the top of Scotland all the way down to Cape town. Right. But they meet a guy in the desert who is on a bike. It's going through the Sahara and it's like a 45 second clip on the show. And, and they're like, they, they come back like, yeah, that, that crazy bloke is like circumnavigating the globe using only human power. And I, I actually stopped it and rewound. I was watching with a buddy. I'm like, that, that, that can't be true. Like, what are they talking about? Human power. Like, what does that even mean? And we watched it again. And sure enough, that's what they said. And I'm like, what is this? Like, who is this person? So I tried to find him on the internet. I eventually did. And I was like, someone has to tell this dude's story. He's been trying, he's been going around the globe for 12 years using only human power. So he's pedal boating across oceans. He's biking, he's walking, he's rollerblading. Um, he's canoeing like it, nothing with a sail or a motor or anything. I'm like, this is insane. How did I not know about this? This is epic. And so I remember thinking I got to start a podcast just so I can have an excuse to reach out to this guy to for a story. Someone has to tell his story because I am someone who, when I hear something I like, I will shout it from the rooftops. The problem is who's going to listen? Like you need an audience for people to listen. And, and so that kind of coalesced into, I'm going to start a podcast because I want to tell stories like the stories behind these people who are out there traveling. And, um, and that's what we did. And he was guest, I think th number three, I got to have him back on. It's like 300 and some episodes ago at this point. But, um, yeah, it was, that was what I, I wanted to know those stories. And so I created a podcast because selfishly, I wanted to talk to these people and also no one else was doing it. And so I just went for it. I bought a few mics. I tested them out. I asked the guy at like guitar center, can I return them? If, if like, like, can I try all these mics out and just return the ones I don't want? It's like, yeah, 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 sure. So yeah, I like five mics at once, like recording and all of them. No idea what I was doing. Um, didn't matter. I just started recording and editing and doing it all myself in the beginning. So how did the podcast sort of, how was the podcast an extension of your existing business and blog? It sounds like there's some overlap there. And then also, did you have, were you following your friend's advice and having a monetization plan or was it just, I'm going to go in and figure that part out later? 
Yeah, there was no monetization of the podcast to start at all. Um, and and I still don't really monetize it much. I, I see the podcast more as, I mean, A, a super fun project to do. Like, I wouldn't do it if I didn't like it. But what I've seen with a podcast as well is we use it almost as a marketing arm for all the other things because – I have seen that there's people who read our site and don't listen to our podcast. There's people who listen to our podcast and don't read our site. And then there's, of course, people who do both. But what I've seen is that the level of loyalty and engagement from podcast listeners is way stronger than people just reading your site. And it makes sense. It's like a, it's like a higher level engagement because they're hearing you in their ears and every week you're talking to them and you know you know that you you become part of of their maybe not daily routine but at least their regular routine whereas when you're reading a blog you know you probably like have five other tabs open and you come back to it and you're doing this and that when you listen to a podcast you're usually pretty engaged and so i have found that that has been worth its weight in gold in terms of just building a much stronger community and, and a much tighter knit community when people are listening. I mean, we'll get people email in and they'll say, hey, I've listened to all 350 episodes of yours at least once, some of them twice. And I'm thinking, cool, <laughs> like, you know, a lot about me and a lot about a lot of stuff that I've done. And, and probably you've heard me say stuff that I forget I've said. Um, but obviously, that's a really strong bond there. And so we don't really directly monetize it a ton. We do have a sponsor, um, and, and occasionally we get another one here and there, and and they're great companies that, that we fully support, but it is more of like, hey, this is going to build a big bond, and then maybe those people will download our app. Maybe those people will get our, our Frequent Fire Bootcamp course, you know, this or that, um, but it's not, it wasn't like a real big monetization strategy in the beginning, but it is probably now for us well, it, it not probably it is our main source of content creation. We record podcasts much more than we write now. I prefer it as a medium. Uh, I wrote a lot in the beginning and and I kind of got like a little sick of it. And also the podcast is is a little more loose, I should say, like, you know, it's interviews with other people that I might not sit and write out an interview or Heather and I might do a podcast together of our, you know, 17 favorite travel um resources for infants but i might not want to write that for some reason so yeah it's it just allows us to be a little more creative i think so tell me about growing that audience obviously you've got lots of episodes and that's a huge part of it but especially since like you mentioned the disconnect or the at least the partial disconnect between the blog and the podcast having a lot of readers even a lot of email subscribers doesn't always translate to podcast listeners so how did you grow extra pack of peanuts to the to the behemoth that it's become yeah, I think that we had a built-in advantage because we had readers already. Like my buddy Jason, who started uh, the Zero to Travel podcast, when he started, he didn't really, I mean, he had a blog, but he wasn't really writing on it. So he didn't, he started it and his thing is more podcast, less less website, much less website. When I started, it was like, hey, the website's the bigger thing and the podcast is the much smaller thing. But it was nice because there were inherently people who we're readers who did turn into listeners. So we, I wouldn't say we're, we're lucky, but we just had that little bit of, all right, right in the beginning, we had some people listening, even if it wasn't a lot. And then honestly, it was just, a, it's a lot of slow growth. It, it, you know, just being consistent with it, putting it out. Um, we did do one thing that ha that really kind of, I guess it's a hack, but kind of, again, supercharged our listenership was about, um, about a year into the podcast, we were seeing it was like just kind of stagnating. It was same same plateau. It was like ten thousand monthly listeners, and we're like, okay, this is cool. Like, I'm I'm glad we have this listenership, but I I wanted to grow, and and it's been at this level for a while now. 
And what we did is we went to a daily show for, it was supposed to be a month. It ended up being almost two months where we said, all right, instead of one show a week, we're going to do five a week. Um, so we didn't do weekends, but it was like Monday through Friday. Um, a lot of work, not very organized or planned. We were literally recording episodes and then like put it, like I was like, record, like hit the end of the record button, start editing it and then put it out. Like it wasn't, I, I wasn't organized. I didn't have like 50 shows in the can to be able to do this comfortably. I just, I just said, we're going to do it. And, um, it, it then bounced our listenership up to about 40,000 that month, which again, per episode, isn't that great. Like sounds good, except you did five times the amount of shows, but you only have four times the amount of listeners. Like, uh Oh, th- th- that math's not working out. But what we found out and I, and I still don't, exactly know why this happened was the next month when we went away from doing the daily thing to weekly, we had 45,000 listeners. So you're like, okay, that actually grew and we put out less shows. And then it just kept going up and up and up. So I think I, my hypothesis is that a, we had a lot more episodes for people to listen to then. So someone came and found our show at episode like 70 now they had 70 other shows to listen to, whereas when we were going weekly, we, you know, there was maybe only 30 shows. So they could really get engaged with it. I think it became someone's people's habits. So they like then they started listening daily. And even though we weren't putting it out daily anymore, maybe they went back and listened to the whole back catalog that they had listened to before. And they just were ready. Then when a new one came out, they were they were like, oh, yeah, this is out, even though it's not daily, it's weekly. So that that was the only quote unquote hack that I tried that really did supercharge it. And now it's just kind of, again, been back to a slow growth. And I joked with my buddy last night, I was like, Hey, maybe, uh, I mean, that worked once and I haven't done anything like that in four years. Maybe it's time to give that a shot again, because I, again, maybe, maybe it would work at this point. I, I don't know. It seems like it'd be silly not to try it again. If it, if it worked once. Stick to your roots, man. You should start right now. That's right. All right. <laughs> right now today. I do have a ton actually in the can, like recorded already. It would be much easier to do a daily one for a month now because I actually might even have like 20 to 30 recorded. So I I wouldn't be scrambling quite as much as I was four years ago. So you've expanded out into to to several other other ventures, you know, possibly at your own peril. Let's talk about that. Some of your some of your other ventures, in particular, uh, the Jetto app, which I've recently actually discovered it when you and I hung out at TravelCon a couple months ago. Talk about that, and and then maybe talk about some of the other irons you got in the fire. Yeah, it might be at my own peril. I am yet I have yet to decide if it's a good or bad thing to have this many balls in the air. I mean, the reason I do it is because I I'm very and probably like you and probably like people listening. If you're a traveler or in the entrepreneurship. You're just curious. You are curious by nature and you want to try different things and you have ideas and you're sitting there saying like, you know, you just can't get those ideas out of your head. And so eventually you're like, I hope either someone builds this or if not, like I have to eventually do it. And that's what happened with Jetto is we have this app. uh, It's available on, on any of the app stores, totally free to download. It came about because I was finding really cheap flights. So this isn't using frequent fire miles or anything. It's just like whenever there's a mistake fare or just a, a crazy good deal, I would book a flight like $125 round trip to Italy or we book $300 round trip flights to South Africa. You know, that's normally $1,500 a flight minimum, right? So we're getting these like flights that were, you know, 70, 80% off. And my friends and, 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 and people who were part of the Extra Pack of Peanuts community would be like, oh, how come you didn't let me know? And I'm like, well, these deals usually disappear in like six hours. Like there had to be a people wanted me to get them this information, but there had to be a quick way to get it to them. Right. I, you know, I'm, I, OK, I could post on Facebook, but if someone doesn't see it, then too bad. Right. 
Um, and we'd send out an email when it was a crazy good deal. But again, like what if I send an email at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday and someone goes into work at 8 a.m. the next day and that deal's gone? So I was like, man, why can't someone just build an app to get these deals out to people, right? <laughs> and, but I, I, I know nothing about tech. So obviously I, I had the idea, but I couldn't build an app. And I'm like, oh, I, I, you know, someone should do this. And then like no one did it. And uh, I tried to, I worked with one developer. It never really got off the ground. We were working for like a year and it just was like, just didn't work out. Uh, neither people's fault, but just didn't work out. So finally, so I, I scrapped the idea for like a year and a half after that thinking, okay, I gave it a try. Someone's going to do this, obviously. Mm -hmm. And once they do, I'll just be happy and I'll send everyone to them. Shout it from the mountaintops, just like you said. Right. And no one did it. And I'm like, why is no one doing this? Come on. So eventually, like four years after the idea, I just thought, I, I met another friend who's a developer. I we are talking about ideas that you just can't kill. And I think all entrepreneurs have these, like the, the one or two ideas that like you just, it, it never leaves you and it can't, it doesn't get out of your brain. And we were talking about that. And I told him about this one and he was a traveler and we actually met because he was taking some random, like 24 hour flight to Ireland for like a hundred dollars. He was there for a wedding, but he was only there for 24 hours. And then he had to fly home because it was this cheap flight. So he, he knew what, like he loved that too. So we just said, let's do it. Uh, and that we, we started that uh, in 20, uh, 2017, end of 2017, launched it February 2018. And um, it's called Jetto. And that's exactly what it does. You, you download the app. You pick the airports that you that you might want to leave out of. And we always recommend that people pick, you know, multiple airports, uh, not just your home one. Like I live in Philly, but I have like Boston, New York, DC, Baltimore, all picked. I actually have them all. There's another perk of location independence. You can select all on the airports. That's right. That's right. You know, if there's a deal out of Boston and it's $300 to go to Bali, well, yeah, I'll make the six hour trek up there or I'll hop a quick flight from Philly for $100 up there. So we say, hey, pick as many airports as, as you think you feasibly could go out of. Um, and that's what, and then it'll just send you notifications when there's a good deal. So, uh, for example, I just booked a flight using our app, which is still, I, what are like my proudest moments? I'm like, I just used my own app to get something that I want. It felt pretty neat. Um, it was Philadelphia to Zagreb, Croatia for 335 bucks. And I was like, okay, cool. I didn't, I wasn't planning on going there in a, but we, we did have time in May to do it. And I'm like, Heth, do you want to do this? And she's like, yeah, I called my parents. I'm like, Hey, you guys want to go to Croatia? They're both retired. They just retired. And they're like, yep. And I'm like, okay, cool. Booked four tickets. Uh, you know, it was like a little over 1200 bucks for four tickets. And now we're all going over in May. So yeah, you just get these notifications right away. Because these deals usually disappear. They don't usually last for, for more than two days. And sometimes it's like a matter of hours. So it gets you the information quick. For me, it's just I what I've found is one of the biggest benefits is people are booking trips. But the other part is we get emails all the time from people saying, I haven't even booked a trip yet. But I love just getting the notifications because it just it reminds me how many cool places there are out there to travel. It spurs them with wanderlust. So they'll see a thing to Kigali, Rwanda, and they'll be like, Where's that? And they're like, oh, the Silverback Gorilla is like, that would be cool to go to. I can't book this trip, but it just like made my day a little better because I thought about the fact that I might travel there someday. So that's like a little side benefit of it. I think you and I are kindred spirits, Trav, because I I'm always I'm a huge advocate for things that keep travel top of mind. Things that you can integrate into your day-to-day -day life that keep you thinking about traveling. Cause once you get into the throes of of adulthood, you know, it's easy for weeks, months 
hopefully not years, but even years to go by without even without taking the trips you want to take or even thinking about your travel dreams. So just things like that popping up in your your phone two, three, four times a day just keeps, like you said, keeps those wanderlust juices flowing. So real quick, what else you got going, man? Besides Jetto, you're you're kind of a man of many hats. What else? What else is working for you? Yeah, well, we'll we'll finish it off, right? I have uh, we have we have the extra pack of peanuts website and podcast. Um, that's going strong. That's that was our fir- very first business. We have the app Jetto, which you guys could download um, and check that out. We just talked about that, and then the other big project that that I run and I'm a part of. I I co-founded this with with Jason from Zero to Travel. Uh, we run a community called Location Indie, and that is for people who want to build or, or grow or scale. Uh, their location independent businesses. And so a lot of people will come to that because they want to be location independent. They want to be a freelancer and make money and live anywhere. But no one in their real life, quote unquote, real life does that, right? They're like, I I have this dream. I read these sites of people doing this, but I don't know anyone who does it. So we created a, a community, a membership site where people um, can pay monthly to be a part of that. We have ongoing trainings each month, teaching a variety of topics. Sometimes it's language learning, sometimes it's Facebook ads, you know, it runs the gamut. Um, and then we do also in-person events as well. So we have like location indie only retreats. So we did one in Denver, we got one in Mexico coming up. And so it really is just a place for anyone who is location independent or wants to be location independent to come to learn because we have a lot of content and teaching on there. But probably even the bigger benefit is the community is that you're now surrounding yourself with people who are doing it. So you hop on accountability calls, maybe you're in masterminds with a uh, groups with people. So what I see, and I'm 99% sure this is the the answer that anyone who is location independent uh, would give you that the number one difference between people who make it and who don't is if they're surround themselves with other people who are doing it. If you do, you're going to make it. It might not be as clean as you think it's going to be. It, it's going to be a winding path. There's going to be obstacles. No one's saying it's easy, but you're going to make it. And if you if you try to go it alone, it is going to be very, very, very difficult, almost impossible. And that's what I found. I, I struggled for a long time, as we talked about a little bit at the beginning of the show, of a couple, you know, $1,000 a month, $1,500 a month, working really hard. Uh, because I wasn't really surrounding myself with anyone who was doing it. I was just doing what I thought was the right answer, and it was the wrong answer. And so I had a buddy um, who, thankfully, I reached out to him, and he kind of became a mentor, and he just changed my focus with with literally one five-minute conversation. We're still friends this day, and, and we both level each other up to this day. So, yeah, that's what we do, we, we do over there. So uh, that's locationindie.com, and that's for people who want to become location-dependent. We open up the community a few times each year, so, so you can't just join whenever. It's like a almost like you know you can't just like go to a university and be like, oh, it's mid-April. I want to like pop into Geography 101. It's like, no. So you come in in, in kind of cohorts. Um, but if you hop on the email newsletter list, a lot of goodies there, and then we let you know when it's open. So that's that's that project. Uh, and then my last little thing, a side thing, is uh, my wife and I run a few Airbnb properties. In the last two years, we've got a few properties in Philadelphia that um, they keep us very busy. That was adding like wh- why we added that on top. Well, <laughs> the I idea guy. Me, why I decided to add that on top because it was my decision. It was just like I like property, I like real estate. Oh, here's a good deal. Um, so we have five properties in Philly that we um run and we're getting someone to manage them because now it's to a point where it's, it's a lot more work than just one property. So, but that's like a pet hobby thing. Um, but we do that as well. Well, it sounds like you're starting to at least figure out ways to, a way to scale it with, by bringing in a team. 
Yeah. So Chapo, as we wind down here, you, you touched on the, the power of community. I think that's absolutely critical. And another thing I find critical as well in any, any entrepreneurial journey is investing in yourself and your skills and in your business. So tell me, Trav, what is the single best investment you've made in yourself? Oh man, I, there's, there's, there's a lot. And, and honestly, for me, that's a lesson that was hard to learn too, because I'm very frugal by nature. And so I always wanted to find the the cheap way to do it, you know, like, oh, I can learn all this online by reading blogs. Um, but then I just realized, hey, at some point you're, you're trading time, you know, for money. So there was two big things, the, the two biggest expenses I've ever spent, uh, actually three, and they all kind of relate to each other, was uh, I bought a course once for $2,000 uh, from a, a friend of mine named Stu McLaren, and he runs a course on membership sites. And we had just started Location Indie, not just started Location Indie, but it was like kind of flatlining at, at like 150 members. And we're like, oh, this is okay, but like we want to grow up bigger. Uh, I, I invested 2000 bucks to get a, a course on how to basically grow membership sites. And that has been worth its weight in gold because obviously if we have more members, we make more money. So it's paid itself off 10 times over by now. The other cool benefit of, of that was getting to know Stu who, who made this course, uh, even better. I paid $5,000 to go to like a two day workshop with him and a few other people who had, who had kind of paid that amount on top of the, the course. And that was phenomenal. It was like 20 of us in a room, very small group. I think it was two, two or three days. Um, and it wasn't the stuff I learned there, but we talk about like who you surround yourself with. It was the people I met. And these were people who were playing a much bigger game than I was, which was neat. You know, there were some people on my level, but most were doing higher numbers, had more people in their communities, all that kind of stuff. But the neat part was I paid five grand to go to that. And one of the people that I met there and became good friends with, she has a really big community. We ran a project that she was an affiliate for, and she made us at least $35,000. Like just her saying, yeah, I'll be an affiliate. Now she made herself some good money too, but we, like she was an affiliate for us. She made us $35,000 by one connection that I made by, by, you know, spending money to go to that. And then the kind of higher level of that was then we did a trip with the same group of people to Africa. Um, and it was all, this was cool because it was all donated to a charity, but it was $10,000. Uh, donated to their their charity that helps build schools in Africa. And then we went on this trip to Africa with some of these other people that had donated the money as well. And um, yeah, sitting around campfires with entrepreneurs who are doing seven, eight figures. And you're like, okay, like, you know, you're not, it, it's just a learning experience. Like you're just soaking up information from people without ha it having to be like, I'm not peppering you trying to pick your brain. You're just talking. Hey, what did you do with your business? What did blah, 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 blah. And, um, yeah, I mean that, that was something that I'll never forget. I, a, the experience, but B just the amount of information that I got from that and, and the way that that helped me change my mindset about what I was doing and say, Hey, I, I can play a bigger game if I want. It's just, you're holding yourself back. And that's usually what the entrepreneur's trap, right? Is we're the ones setting limits on ourselves, not anyone else. Those limiting beliefs, the little, you know, maybe a little peppering of the imposter syndrome. Those, those are all can be extremely debilitating. And like you said, getting yourself in the room with folks who or at least at your level, hopefully above your level, who can pull you up, you know, unlock those doors, give you those ideas. Like you just unlocked a phenomenal idea. You breezed over it a little bit, but the idea of getting, get that, establishing that personal relationship with someone who has a larger audience than yours to help with a product launch with an affiliate, with an affiliate 
program, someone who can sell your products is not only are you making money, they're making money. Everybody's happy, but you're also building your audience. You're building your influence. Everybody wins. And that's just, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal tactic. And I appreciate you sharing that. That's super, super helpful. So last question before we say goodbye, Trav, and I ask this to every single one of my guests, who besides yourself, and I'm going to ex- also exclude your wife, Heather, who has had the biggest positive impact on your business besides you and Heather? There's a few answers I could give you, but my buddy Jacob, and, and the reason I'm saying him is because he is the one that sat me down a year and a half in the story I told and said, don't do anything until you make money. Like, and, and again, and he's a life coach and he's like, woo wooey. And he's all about like, feel good. And vibes. like, he's not a super money focused person, right? Like that's not his end goal. My end goal also isn't, oh, I'll do anything I can to make this amount of dollars. Like I want to have fun while I'm doing it. So to see, but he just sat that he sat me down and said that. And I, would I have ever come to that realization on my own? I, obviously I would like to think that I would have. But it was a year and a half and I hadn't. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just sat me down and he said that. And he was about a year ahead of me. And and now it's kind of interesting because I'm not going to say I'm ahead of him or not. But in certain ways I am and in certain ways he's still ahead. But he, he had started his site a year before me. So he had gone through those growing pains. And so for him to sit down and tell me that, uh, you know, usually when people who, who, are, who have done what you want to do and are a step above, then you, uh, a step above what you're, you're at there or where you want to go when they tell you to do something. I mean, you should really think long and hard about it. And unless there's a very good reason why you disagree with it or don't want to do it, you should probably just do it. And, and that's what I did. So I would say Jacob was the catalyst for me actually saying, I'm going to start treating this like a business. In the beginning, I wasn't. I, I just I, I wanted to do something fun, and I wanted to have a website, and I knew I wanted to make money from it. But it was a total mindset shift from, "Hey, I'm doing this, and let hopefully it works." To, "No, no, no, I'm gonna make it work. Like this is a business that I that is relying on me to make it work. I can't just hope that it works." And so, yeah, huge impact on my life, and continues to still have it um, to this day. I'm going to make it work. I love that. Those are great words to part on, Travis. Travis Sherry from Extra Pack of Peanuts. You can check him out at extrapackofpeanuts.com. Trav brought up a bunch of things. We're going to link it all up in the show notes. Jetto, of course, love the love the app. That's Jetto, Jetto.com. Check that uh, out. Let's, let's Jetto. Let's Jetto. I knew, I, I knew that was wrong. Thanks. But it's on any of the app stores. Like You don't even have to go online. Just just go into your app store and put in Jetto and you'll you'll get it. All right, and I wonder if Trav maybe has some of those sleep masks left over. He had some Jetto sleep masks down there in Austin. I still have mine. I, I do. I have like a box of like 100 left. I'm like, when am I going to use these again? Yes, love it. Travis Sherry, thanks so much for taking the time, my friend. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for letting me share my story. And uh, anyone out there who wants to connect, please do. Uh, I'm an open book. I, I love to help people with travel and entrepreneurship. So hopefully it helps in your journey as well. If you create travel content, then you know how important it is to truly connect with your audience. And podcasting is simply a phenomenal way to create those intimate connections. Podcasting lets you use the power of your voice to share your message, change people's lives, all while expanding your influence and growing your business. My friend, podcasting is a huge part of my dream life, and I want to help make it part of yours too. So if you're ready to start using the power of your voice, take that first step by going to dramaticpodcasting.com. And there you're going to find everything you need to start your podcasting journey from how to create and launch your podcast to how to grow your audience and start making money. It's all there, my friend. It's at dramaticpodcasting.com.